Hello, and welcome yet again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the Gustav Stickley Institute for the Study of Furniture here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of carved ivory furniture inlays found in a destruction layer in Iron Age Jerusalem. Who has furniture inlaid with ivory? Fancy people, that's who. And who doesn't want an uncomfortable looking couch throne, a sort of daybed slash divan, whatever a divan is. But were these gifts given by Assyrian kings to Judean notables, or just stuff picked up at the local Ikea with some stick-on decorations and passed off as fancy imports? What, if anything, does this tell us about Jerusalem? And what about the elephants wandering around Syria? Were they native elephants, or had they been reintroduced in the Bronze Age? Who speaks for the elephants? Answer me that. Okay. (laughs) Is this on? This is on. Okay. Um, so I, I have three different um, lightning rounds, but I, it, it, it came to me <clears throat> this morning that uh, they're off base. So I have, I have something else. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> favorite terrestrial land, uh, terrestrial mammal. Favorite terrestrial mammal. Yeah. Yes. I, I see a connection. Oh, I guess I see the connection. Uh well, I think you could probably guess mine. What is yours? The sloth. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the skewomorph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Fine. <laughs> Professor Hallett? Um, I'm torn between a bear and... <laughs> Bears are good. ...and an elephant. <laughs> If you will. <laughs> Too soon. Alex? I um I like dogs. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're <laughs> dogs <certainly> are, terrestrial. <clears throat> and bears. Um, I'm allergic to cats, so I wouldn't like tigers, I suppose. <laughs> but I do like I do like elephants, and I follow on, on Twitter this Twitter feed from this African elephant sanctuary. Hmm. Um I guess we should put in a plug, but I'd have to look up the exact name where they have all the baby elephants that they rescue from the, mm-hmm. from the bush. And they're just adorable and, and they're wise and familial. They are. There was a, there was a, an image circulating on Twitter recently of a herd of elephants taking a nap, taking a nap, right. And they're all the big Very ones, nice. the little ones. Yeah. They're, they're of all the, of all the animals that should never take a nap. <laughs> man elephants definitely shouldn't be napping because right right well baby elephants are extremely adorable and i think one reason they're so adorable is because we know they grow up to be these great big elephants is mm-hmm. that's what that's what makes them adorable to you well it's just it's remarkable how little well, it is they are, and then yeah. they grow up to be I mean, I like I like adult elephants too. Obviously, <laughs> I'm sure they would like you too. <laughs> the feelings mutual. I once had an elephant throw rocks at me at the Philadelphia Zoo. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> to, to get that kind of a reaction for cause or just uh, pointing at them and yeah. They they don't like to be pointed at. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little helpful tip tip for our listener. <laughs> No one went with things like pandas or um... pandas. Yeah. <laughs> the pandas, the most overrated of the land mammals. They're very adorable. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, but you know they they shouldn't. Orangutans yeah. are okay. I mean, they're interesting, but they're not my favorite. 
Well, clearly, I mean, we know what your favorite is now, but yeah. all right. No, a, a lot of a lot of monkeys and apes kind of freak me out because they're so similar to humans. So they're basically we're ninety seven percent them, and yeah, and vice versa. What was uh, what was the boomafu? He was uh, he was a lemur. 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 Yeah. Lemur, that's a very popular animal. It is. Should we sing the song? <laughs> we'll date ourselves. Let's not. No, I don't think we should sing anything ever. Probably not. <laughs> Although we haven't done anything about music. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, that's not what we're talking about today. But that's right. Well, maybe fine. we should get on to what we we're talking about today <laughs> because the the segue is so obvious. Yeah. Um. Who who, who wants to do the setup? So, okay, we're talking about ivory, small ivory inlays found in Jerusalem, which is really quite remarkable. But the segue is, is the ivory obviously comes from elephants, um, which, you know, I'll just say right away that I've always just kind of had an issue with, with all these beautiful ivory inlays because I do think of the elephants. Okay. <laughs> and and can I speak for all of us and say that we're irrevocable? irrevocably implacably opposed to uh, ivory hunting and all that yeah, kind of stuff poaching, poaching yeah right. uh, leave the elephants alone right um but there are these but you know we are our ancestors and the iron age specifically 1500 plus fragments <clears throat> from the upper story of a building in jerusalem in uh in what would have been the city of David, dating to the sixth, seventh century ish, uh, which appeared to have been, which were worked and were some kind of furniture inlays in the style, which was the style of the time. Right. In, in Assyria and in Phoenicia, all over the ancient Near East, you'd carve these pieces of elephant ivory and you'd make imitations in bone. You know, mostly geometric and floral kinds of designs, and you'd stick it on your, on your. No, no not just. I not mean, just. There's a wide variety outside of Jerusalem. Outside of Jerusalem, okay, yeah, as, right. So the right. Samaria ivories are filled with all sorts of, Fa yeah, all sorts of figures and animals doing stuff. But, but we should also <laughs> point out right away that that um, it's pretty rare to find these ivory inlays. Um, in is it? Well, in in. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> well, you have some from Megiddo, which are a little bit earlier than late this bronze age. Late yes, bronze and, age from Megiddo, and you've got the Samaria ivories, uh, ninth, ninth century, ninth, eighth, eighth, century. eighth century, yeah, and um, now you've got these. So, oh, it's and not, you've got ivories from Nimrud, at, right farther the, afield, the mother load in right, Assyria, the mother load, and Arslantash, Arslantash, right. uh, Salamis, okay. And I'm sure there are other examples that bits and pieces right, sure. and pieces. that exist. And I'm sure that there's quite a quantity that have never been tested <clears throat> and were called bone or ivory and never have really been followed up on. That is probably true. Um, so we don't really know the scale. Right. But regardless, yes, this is quite a find from from Jerusalem of the. Uh, of the seventh or early sixth century BCE, right. very exciting. And the building they were found in um, was destroyed in the destruction of five eighty six when the Babylonians came in and burned the city and burned the temple. Um, so that's kind of cool too that we can at least date the end point for these this ivory cache. The end point for more than the ivory cache. <laughs> <laughs> the ivories were really the least of it. I was going to say that in, end point wise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was found in the excavations at the Gavathu parking lot, which are, of course, a little bit problematic to begin with. Uh, but regardless, there's been a tremendous amount of work done at this site, and the finds are quite um, are exciting on a lot of different levels. Uh, and these um, these bits and pieces of what we now know are uh, inlays, plaques and inlays. We're also found with, I think, 15 restorable vessels that contained vanilla-laced wine. We talked yeah. about vanilla earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we know that this building 
um, probably belongs to. I think it's being described as, you know, a, uh, a important member of the royal administration. Right. There was one seal or seal impression. Oh, yeah. There's a seal, both that's... an agate seal, Natan, what was it? Natan Mela? Yeah. 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 Somebody Ben somebody. Yeah. No, Natan Mela is on the seal and then a seal impression. All right. So it's a classy joint. It's a classy joint. And, and as, Rachel uh, said it's actual, they've done, I will say that in a remarkably short period of time, they've done a lot of testing and we have a lot of good scientific and art historical analysis of these um, pieces. And it is indeed elephant ivory, which um, was very valuable commodities. We've come to learn. I, everyone is asserting that elephant ivory was more valuable than gold. And I'm not sure how they know that. <laughs> it seems like one of the kinds of things that we would really have to take the Wayback Machine in and really get a sense of how much, you know, a dram of gold was worth versus how much a dram of elephant ivory. But it was certainly a very, very high prestige item. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the main point, that it's, it's high prestige. And there's a little, not- bit of a, a little bit of a rhetorical flourish to the reportage of this, mm. of, the, of these ivory pieces. Well put. <laughs> and I think that, uh, you know, I think that it, uh, we, it's, uh, it's a little much at times, but that's fine. I think uh, fine, fine, true. But this is an exciting find from- Oh, it's very exciting. From the, you know, end of the period of the kingdom of Judah. So everybody is going to get excited about it. And I think- Well, that that's why. And I wanted to bring, I wanted to actually raise a question. All right. Think back to when we were a grad graduate students shortly after the end of the Iron Age three. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it interesting how everything now from the Iron Age two B and C in both popular and professional parlance is referred to as first temple. Mm. There was no first temple when we were way back. Everything was given its its date by the Iron Age, Iron Age 2B, Iron Age 2C, or Iron Age 2, Iron Age 3. But now the term First Temple is used almost, you know, almost exclusively. That's interesting. I think it was always used, but not in professional archaeology circles. And I think... Well, there there were always a few guys. (laughs) Exactly. And and we don't have to get too much into those guys, but... They were older. They, they were of a generation. Right. And, and I think they, it was largely Israelis. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, we don't want to nail it down. No, too I know. But it's just the, the 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 terminology that developed out of modern Hebrew, which developed out of other Hebrews. Yeah. Well, um, what I wanted to point out, too, is that right now we're in an age where, you know, everything is commoditized and everything has to sell. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is to call anything first temple is going to garner a lot more uh interest and uh you know yeah uh, and has a certain you know rhetorical flourish that iron age 2b or iron age 2c would not uh and i think it's just kind of an interesting outcome of the last 20 or 30 years in the field yeah no i think you're right i think that is interesting that the field has um sort of started I don't know, to cater to things that perhaps people who are started to are coming at it from a more biblically oriented. The field was started by and for these (laughs) these guys. But I also think everybody saw, oh boy, look what calling second temple period does for second temple stuff. Right. And we should start doing that for, you know, the end of the Iron yeah. Age. We're calling yeah. it first temple. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of neo-retro traditionalism marketing. It's a marketing. PR yeah. thing. And yeah. it's, you know, it does it does its job. Yeah. And Absolutely. And we were talking about it. We, we yeah. were also, you know, in graduate school and I guess we could say the post-processualist period, but processualism was not that far in the past and people were not going to talk in biblical terms. Then. Alex and I were in the field where in graduate school during the processional processual craze. Well, okay. So you, you started well, earlier than I did. Right. We were, profe- we were processualists. That's right. 
Okay. Uh, we, were, we were we were in graduate school when systems theory was still mm-hmm. thing. when behavioral archaeology and its journal existed. That's right. <laughs> I mean, we we studied with some of those guys. You did study with some of those guys, right? The actual the actual guys and and women. I was going to say gals, but I don't, I don't need that kind of trouble. No. Um, yeah, no. sure. We'll be broadcasting off of a boat somewhere in the North Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I think my point was that, yeah, we were all, we as a group in the, I won't even name years, were closer to processualism, if not within processualism. So you're not going to be describing things in any sort of biblical. My problem was I could never figure out, okay, it's the iron two B yeah. slash mm-hmm. what, like what century is that? What, right. what year is exactly. that? And, right. You know, I, I can't remember that stuff. No. Put it into either give me the century or just say, okay, fine. It's iron two or fine. First temple period. I don't care. Right. It's not, well, it was never really my right. period that much Neither. anyway. So, um, but now it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's where all the action is yeah so let's, Talk- let's actually get back to the topic yes that's a really good idea <laughs> what were we talking about oh right so, the ivories so okay so i'll i'll start out by saying that first of all they're incredibly delicate and really quite lovely some of them and the nice. excavation that you know brought them to light the fact that they were that they were spotted and seen and able to be reconstructed and some of them were found were, in the ground and some of them were, were spotted <laughs> they were I just seen. wonder if well some of the, a lot of them were found in wet sieving right and I was wondering if they found them first in wet sifting and that alerted to them to the mm. fact ah. question them while excavating that's but, interesting but we're not going to ever really know that right I, I was just fascinated that some of them appear to be painted right and Red I never knew that yep. before that uh, and the, with the the ivory itself as a contrast background or, or highlight yeah. or something. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And because um, all these Assyrian ivories that you see that we've seen all of our lives, they're just ivory colored. Right. <laughs> so yeah, they look almost like two-tone. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that sort of get that sort of is that whole world of, of polychromatic, antiquity that is right topic in classical sculpture and 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 triumphal arches and all of that kind of stuff right i mean we it's a sidebar really to to all of this but thinking about antiquity in color generally is yeah it's really the way to go well that you got right you always have to really think about it in terms of color and especially in terms of smell, we've talked right. about that we already before. talked about that. Yeah, we've talked about that yeah. extensively. All right. So the we find uh, this polychromatic inlay uh, that uh, seems to, at least according to the uh, to the uh, excavators, they believe after analysis, careful analysis of the um, typology of the motifs that this stuff was made in Assyria and given as gifts or something like that to the Jerusalem elite and uh, that it came in the form of a couch throne (laughs) (laughs) throne. is the technical term being used. So anyone want to say anything about the couch throne? I will say that the reconstruction in the article was a really nice reconstruction. (laughs) So, so it sounds like the couch throne was sort of the, the, the Eames chair of, of the period. And, uh, you know, if that's how people were, were rewarded. Everybody knew that this was a, a thing. And, <laughs> and no, it's not some kind of, you know, flat pack Ikea <laughs> unit that you're getting that's generic. Um, it's, it's none of this bland Scandinavian minimalist design. <laughs> it's got actual inlay right. on it. And it looks really kind of uncomfortable. And that's what I wanted to get at. Yeah. I, you know, it reminded me of the Ashdoda. No one says, no one talks about that. Oh, but, yeah. But the Ashdoda is not dissimilar to the shape of this thing. And it seems like something that would be more at home in a late 19th, early 20th Viennese uh, you know, 
re- receiving room mm. or possibly therapy session with Freud himself, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Jung, but certainly Freud, uh, than anything else. All right. right. I got to I gotta stop you both for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a minute? All right. So first of all, have you ever heard of cushions? You can make an uncomfortable piece of furniture a lot more comfortable with cushions. Um, number yeah, one. But... Is it long enough to lie down on, or do you have to? For her, not for us. An, <laughs> she could lie down on an elbow. All I'm right, like... wait. Then number two, um, <laughs> it is an assumption that maybe these were inlaid onto a couch throne, but they could have been just as easily on small boxes in which to keep trinkets. Could have been on. No one said that. They all talk no, about. They all talk about. Well, no, yeah, but you can. That it's all speculation. Is what I'm saying. Just Did you see my trinket box that I got? I got it from. You can you know, easily Rob Chaquet himself. <laughs> Good one. All right. You can also <laughs> visualize it on the edge of a desk, on the edge of a writing table, and the on the arms of a throne. No one. What? No one's. No one's paying for a desk for a scribe, and they're not writing. <laughs> you don't know what they're paying for. You don't know what you know. I mean, no, but are they paying? Are they paying for this at all? Right. Well, that's is, well, that's, and, and that that comes down to, you know, the, the well, they're the, paying for it one way or another. Well, okay. Thing is a free lunch. I mean, let's you know. Right. Is there? Do they send away for it, or <laughs> does this come in the mail? Like, oh, here's an unsolicited gift. We've we, we've ravaged your land. <laughs> Please know, accept this couch, <laughs> this uncomfortable couch. Well, this this is, I think, one of the most interesting things that was discussed in the discussion part of the the article. Um, you know, how did they get? How did it get here? Was it gifted? Um, and the assumption seems to be it was. Or was gifted. it regifted? <laughs> Maybe this is schlock that that the Assyrian kings are getting from Urartians, and they're like, ah, oh, another 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 furniture inlay. Well, let's ah. just send it down to Judah. Exactly, give it to all those crummy little vassals in the in the far south uh, west. Right. Well, it also gets you thinking about the the chronology of this because you know you had the kings who were considered good in the Bible and the kings who were considered evil in the Bible, and usually it was based on politics. You know, those who were willing to to concede to be a vassal um, were considered evil and the others were considered good. So if this was gifted, um, and I think even the article I might have mentioned, it might have been in the reign of Manasseh, um, you know, one of these evil uh, Assyrian um, Assyrian um, a- approval uh, kings. So it gives you a sense that, you know, if it came down here to Judah, it came down um, in a period of peace with Assyria, not a period of rebellion. I don't think there's any way to know when a piece of furniture showed up in, <laughs> in somebody's house. I mean, I mean we hardly know when without a piece receipts. Of shows up today. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, in this house, Amazon tells you, it's not the furniture. That's the other thing. Are yeah. the, is it just the fur inlays, and then it's being assembled by local artisans? There's a lot of right. we don't Unknown. know a lot of the whole process. Right, because right, we don't have any of the furniture itself. Um, I'm almost afraid to ask, but do we know if the ivory came from African or or Asian elephants? Uh, see, that's they, where they it said gets African. Out. It did say African. They said African. Yes, okay. there was a big deal made about the fact that it comes from African elephants, and so I assume it does, as opposed to Syrian elephants. Are there any Syrian elephants left by the late seventh, early sixth century? Ah, uh, well, that's funny you should ask. Because right before right before we went on the air, I I quickly skimmed a, a recent article about the problem of of understanding the elephants, and apparently there were there were there were there were there were elephants in indigenous elephants in Asia right. in the Pleistocene. But the big question oh, is, no, no, there were elephants in the Iron Age. In no, no. But the big question is, were the elephants in the Bronze Age and Iron Age remnants of Pleistocene populations uh-huh. or as was proposed in a recent scientific article that these were imported from Asia ah. in the Holocene. So maybe in the third millennium or uh-huh. as the quantities or even later or even later, but because the quantities of ivory start showing up in West Asia in the quantities increase at the end of the third millennium and into the second millennium. And then they kind of disappear by the eighth, seventh century. 
and their distri- the distribution of the actual elephants. There are all sorts of accounts of elephants and elephant hunting and, you know, oh, thanks for the elephant ivory. And, oh, you know, it's so cool. To, <laughs> they're elephants. Yeah. They're depictions of, elef- of Assyrian elephants. They oh, seem yeah. to have lived in Syria and along the Euphrates. And, and I'm like, they're actual elephants stomping around in the late Bronze Age and the Iron Age? What, what's up with that? Right. <laughs> what, would people, what would people think of this? These, you know, especially if they were imports. We're just going to you know, we're just going to leave these and create a breeding population. Well, that's yeah. It's yeah. it's so kooky to think about. It is kooky. Um, it's and it's not how I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was I was thinking about the ivory the ivory being imported from someplace to the east and then um, carved in maybe Assyria and then the finished product being exported to Judah. And lots of other finished things. product being the plaques or being the whole piece of furniture. I was assuming the whole piece of furniture, but I don't. I'm I'm not wed to that. I so. mean, one of the things that they said was that the that the ivories had drill holes. Yeah, uh, which is a lesser sort of you know form of of inlay than if it had been glued. Mm-hmm. But there were there's different possible explanations for why it might have drill holes might have been repaired the the pieces might have fallen out and they had to sort of be redrilled but that i thought that was kind of interesting because that might have suggested that it was that the ivory was coming in and then being applied or being inlaid locally right Right. but why ivory in the first place because it's more precious than gold right Right. but why but why elephant ivory because (laughs) elephants are rare dangerous bizarre Right. Um, so are yeah. hippos. That's right. True. And Although by, hippos are more common, you know, right next door in Egypt. Well, there oh. were hippos in the Holy Land until this through the second millennium. Yeah, on okay. the coast, in the marshy coast areas. Right. And oh, people okay. don't people don't talk about no, that people enough. Don't. It's the it's the little <laughs> dirty secret of Levantine <laughs> ivory is the hippos. But hippos are also very dangerous. Right. Hippos yeah. hippos will Hippos will really take a chunk out of you. Right. They'll, they'll yeah. kill you as just as yeah. soon as look at you. Look at you. <laughs> right. so they're both, but I think it's, I don't think the big mystery, I don't think that's a big mystery. These are the biggest animals on earth. Yeah. Uh, and they're very, you know, they stand for a lot of things. Plus they have this commodity. Right. Um, right. But if you're a dirt farmer. Oh my in, God. Now we can talk about speculation. No, yes. no, no. I mean, who's the symbolism intended for? It's well, intended for the elites. It's not intended for the right. Dirt but it, so if if you're a if you're a farmer or a, or a simple shepherd, and you're who's completely accustomed to working in bone, making all sorts of stuff oh. out of bone. Are um, simple shepherds making things that I guess they're making like pan flutes out of bone. Pan flute. <laughs> Some fear the pan flute, the master of the pan flute, his origins right, in, in our next hour. Sure. No, they're making like pins and needles and okay, okay. spatulas and stuff. Yeah. Um, little, little spindle worlds. I didn't even know what I was talking about now. <laughs> you were talking about dirt farmers and, yeah. and that they could make things in bone, which, right. is, which is the whole that's the next kind of step in all of this, the imitation of ivory objects in bone. Right. But, but we have to start with the ivory objects before you want to imitate them. You have to like them in the first place. <laughs> Alex is just looking for the number of the truck that just hit him. <laughs> yeah, it's we, parked we outside, to ready to take, take me away. Would this um, be a good time to, to mention um, Solomon and Hiram and biblical ivory carving speculations <laughs> and Ahab. <laughs> Haven't, don't we have enough speculations on this on this podcast? Sure. Go for it. So there's a lot of biblical discussion about ivory going into palace decoration. And you've got Ahab, I said Solomon, he's also, I think, got, got um, Phoenician workers coming down. But Ahab in particular, um, ninth century, has... Um, discussion of uh of importing um i guess phoenician ivory carvers right. like, to make he, his palace of doesn't ivory. talk about his palace of ivory i think so yeah yeah we should have looked that up to confirm but yeah house and, of ivory i believe house what? of ivory house of ivory house palace whatever a, pancake, a man's home is, is his palace right 
And, and um, then the Samaria ivories were therefore initially dated to the ninth century, but I believe there's a good potential for, for redating them to the eighth century um, for the last few years. Um, what is that? The iron two a slash. Uh, yeah. I don't know how that um, anyway, but it, regardless, it's still period. the kingdom. The, sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> the kingdom of Israel. So, so there's this biblical connection between ivory work being done by Phoenicians and the ivory work of the Phoenicians coming into Israel um, and maybe Judah. So, so I wanted to throw that in because that also makes, um, you know, the, the find of ivory in a royal city in Judah much more exciting. Well, okay. It Well, certainly it is exciting. I don't think we need to, I think we can all agree to that. Well, okay. very, <laughs> look at our excitement. But one thing I think that we're, we've always talked a lot about is pace intensity and scale. And Jerusalem has been excavated for a very, very long time in a lot of different places in Jerusalem, etc. Ramat uh, Rachel has been excavated th pretty thoroughly. And this is it. This is all we have, which is not yeah. to say this is all that there was, but it is all that we have. And so the issue I always like to raise is what level of scale or intensity does ivory present in the first temple period? Is it literally, you know, Esther Haddon sending a couch and saying, take a load off your feet, Manasseh, relax <laughs> from your good buddy. Right. Or is this the tip of the iceberg? And we've, we've, we ask this question a lot. We've asked this question all the time. And I think it's an important one. Was this a outlier or is this typical of the period? And we don't have a lot of comparative examples in terms of other provincial capitals or dopey vassals here and there, you know, you have Arslantash till Barsip, you have excavations in lots of Aramean sites. I mean, um, I don't think we have any good examples a lot. I don't think there's any clear examples of ivory at Tyanot. And, you know, Tyanot is squarely in this period with lots. Right, and it's a big, it, it's a big honking site. And yeah. Much bigger and much more honking, yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, so so maybe this is, it's not all that there is, obviously. Maybe there's more in the next room over, but right. it's not a lot. Right. And so you have, you have a, a spectrum and a lot of it comes down to, you know, in, at the end of the day, the question is, what kind of city was Jerusalem? What kind of capital? That's always the question. And and okay, it's not Nimrud. <laughs> you know, it's not no, and, no, and that's important because there is this intimation in in these popular newspaper articles that the discovery of this I've these this ivory, these ivory plaques makes Jerusalem an equal to Nimrud and an equal to the Assyrian capitals. And I think in, I think that's the real seems a bit seems a bit exaggerated. Yeah. 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 But at least this sort of shows that it's equal to at least Samaria. It's northern stronger mm. Well, Samaria has more and nicer uh, ivories, but well, Samaria's nicer earlier is the, yeah, it's the it's eye of the earlier and and more important. It's it's yeah. And and different things are going on in that period as well. The Phoenician, you know, there's much more direct, obvious Phoenician yeah. contact, and and the Assyrians are not coming over and beating the crap out of everybody, you know, every uh, right. two weeks. And right. And when I said important, I I should have been a little bit more specific. Uh, Samaria was, you know, came came into the, you know, yeah, was much more of a concern to the Assyrians right. um, than, than Judah was at that, at that time. At that time. And when, right. when Israel, the North was gone, then the uh, Assyrians, you know, took a careful look at, at Judah. Right. right. And, and we, uh, and we culture. don't know a lot about, you know, the, the central, the central royal elite or administrative or anything areas of sites like Damascus or sites like Byblos right. or sites right. like Amman or sites, any one of these other city states 
kind of at the or city city states or or little national whatever capitals yeah. the equivalent in the same league as jerusalem right aleppo right. would be another one right right uh, yeah. tie could be another one well i i think that all i mean what is interesting about everything you're saying is that maybe the ivories at least show that that jerusalem was a player Okay, because it was Whoa. smaller and it was less important internationally. Well, what does player mean? Means right. it's um, it got a little bit, a little bit of status, a little bit of clout in the international community. People are aware of it, and it's always kind of building itself mm. up, um, or at least if you read the Bible, if you read the Deuteronomy, well, they, they it's building itself up. They that's their job to <laughs> to build them up, right? That's you know that. That's their PR PR release, right? Exactly, and I think, but this this kind of gives you a little bit of okay, yeah, they're exaggerating a lot, but but at least they have some cool, nice, elite, luxury stuff in the royal precinct, right? right. Which is something that Alex, you brought up in your Jesho, your you know, well, highly regarded Jesho article, you talked about how you know all of these tiny little polities are all imitating each other, but really imitating the Phoenicians. And right. we don't have any good examples of a Phoenician core city from the ninth, eighth centuries. We don't really know what the hell they were imitating, but we, can, <laughs> right. but we surmise. Right. right. It is amazing how little we know about stuff that we talk about all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to cut that <laughs> part out. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean we, Why? the three of us. I meant. <laughs> no, I think you did. Everybody. I didn't. It's everybody, man. <laughs> No, I um, really didn't. I mean, I mean, there there are assumptions about Iron Age cities throughout the Levant. Well, and we don't have that much. Action. That's a very that's a very good point because exactly. we know a tremendous well comparatively a tremendous amount about the Assyrian heartland. Right. We right. don't know as much about the Assyrian hinterland, although much more is being learned. Right. We know something. We know a tre tremendous amount about. Um, the southern Levant in the Iron Age, up to Again, the from a rural, uh, from an urban perspective, from an urban perspective, right. and there, and you know, also beyond dopey rural. We have sites. a lot of survey information, and we have yeah. a lot of you know bits and pieces of salvage. Some of us really enjoy excavating on peripheral sites. I mean, for the right. <laughs> uh, my point yes. <laughs> is that once you cross over, let's say into Lebanon, you have a lot of dots on the map about which you know almost nothing yeah and what goes on what the what the, the processes are the stuff the elite stuff looks like it at these major sites you don't know anything about it right yeah. so we we extrapolate from things that we know a lot about to things that we know very little about and then we say that the things that you know the little things were just like or must have been just like this yeah or something yeah. So yeah. it's a weird cognitive <laughs> dissonance um, that never, that no one ever lets bother them. Right. No, nobody, nobody is bothered. I'm suddenly very bothered by it. <laughs> God, what have, what have I done with my life? I was going to say this afternoon does not, does not have a good, good sense to it. Yeah. Just sit in the basement now. Uh, let's, I want to bring up another thing, which is the motifs that are represented. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So we have, we have rosettes. We have stylized tree and we have lotus blossoms. Right. All right. Does anyone want to say anything about all that? <laughs> They're, not They're not all new. They're not new. They're all these new. all these motifs are are very old. Been around in iconography everywhere around the ancient world for hundreds if not thousands of years before by the iron age yeah and uh, lotus blossoms obviously egyptian death and renewal and renewal and blah 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 and trees and sacred trees and goddesses blah 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 <laughs> and rosettes they're it's like okay it's a way to make a circle interesting <laughs> and you know it's it's nice it's not hugely original though it's not hugely original. It's also um, other caches of ivories have a larger selection of motifs. Is that what you wanted to get at? Well, yeah. no, I, just I, was, wanted to, I was trying I to say it a nice to, way. I wanted to corral you guys and talk about something something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
that was something that I wanted to discuss, which was uh, some of the immediate um, reportage on this was that, isn't it interesting that there are no human or animal figures found in Jerusalem? Yeah. Uh, mm. and is that some kind of a cultural, they put right. it forward as a cultural choice or a cultural preference? Mm. And, um, I would, I would sort of argue it's a little too soon. Mm. Yeah. I would also argue that there's certainly a lot of, female pillar figurines from Jerusalem. Mm. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like cultural preference or choice impacts that particular medium. Although, although, you know, pillar figurines are just with the the population of Jerusalem. And this is royalty. This is elite. This is people's palace. First of all, it's not royalty. Okay. It's not royalty. It's elite. It, people it's, associated with the, with, it's a fancy house. We don't know who. We don't know what. Right. It's a. It's like an upper middle class house. It's like. But, but it. Scarsdale. Very interesting that you say that because we don't know. That could be the king's house. It could, could be. be where the king lives. So right. we really don't know. Could and be. The we don't know what the. House. What the whole social hierarchy? How they express themselves? Right. right. So right. there is that whole side of things. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, should we should we spell it out that that you know the idea of not wanting to have human forms, not wanting to, you know, the whole monotheistic avoid imitating how a god, the mm. god, might look. We, we should probably have spelled that out. And now yeah. I have. But they, but they don't have problem with the the, the form of uh, of a woman. Well, at again, least from the waist up. In, again, that's you know not part of the official religion. That's. That's well, everybody else. says that, and that's a whole that's a whole podcast in itself. That's true. <laughs> I think but we've we're, done. We're like kind of treading times, on the but... edge of it, or maybe it's just me treading on the edge of it. Anyway, so so let's let's back up. What kinds of what kinds of cool things did they did elites, whatever they were, or upper middle class people in Jerusalem have? They had ivories maybe on some of their furniture or they, maybe one piece of furniture or okay. maybe a piece of furniture. Um, some of them had a toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> some of them had vanilla in their wine, apparently in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them had wine. Uh, <laughs> some of them had um, like cool fossils that <laughs> they picked up somewhere. Right. Um, yeah. And they had writing. And they had dried fish from both the Red Sea and yeah, the Mediterranean. Yeah. Right. We've done a lot of these podcasts, haven't we? <laughs> and, and they, they had other together. things that I can't. I mean, you know, I think that there's, I think that there's other prestige items. I think there's a whole kind yeah. of list of prestige items that they probably had. And then, of course, as Alex said, they had writing. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that there were elites in Jerusalem. Is this what we're getting at? I mean. I don't know what Alex is getting at. Well, I think my, uh, I, I think if I can recall my my thought process process of ninety seconds ago, um, I, I think it's a question of, you know, what what distinguishes an elite in this particular society ah, from right. a from a non elite. Non elites don't really have they don't have access to a lot of these commodities, mm-hmm. toilets, in, <laughs> toilets included. Um, they have. L- less familiarity with writing although there seems to have been some yeah. amount of writing going on um <clears throat> you know uh, this is how this is how elites show off and you know again if you compare with let's say assyria which is sort of like comparing a mouse to an elephant mm-hmm. um assyrian elites are vastly more yeah mm-hmm. equipped with cool stuff yes yeah, yeah. Um, yep. and, and if even if you compare, you know, Jerusalem to Samaria, as we've sort of been doing, I think there's more, there's well, more goodies well, or that, Megiddo. Or, yeah, and that might be an interesting question because as more of these things pop up in Jerusalem, now you can sort of push out the, you know, the elite boundaries a little bit more, uh, and that those that the Jerusalem the the Judean elites might be as robust and exotic as the as the as the Omrides. Yeah. Yeah. In a slightly later period. Yeah. In a slightly later period, they knew and they had the imprint, they had the model, they knew how to do it. They knew what to do to be, you know, in that category of elites. Right. Um, But again, I think, you know, it always comes down to 
to scale and intensity, how much stuff is there? Right. Um, otherwise, you're just getting hints. And if it's a small amount of stuff, that means one thing. And if it's a great deal of stuff, that means another. Yeah. Right. And and in the, the case of Jerusalem is that it's it's not it's not a secondary state, so to speak. It's a tertiary state, really. Yeah. And you know, the Samaria and the Omrides, that's a that's a secondary state. They got their ideas directly from the people who were reorganizing the landscape of the first millennium after the terrible collapse of, <laughs> of the Bronze Age. And so they were getting ideas from the Phoenicians. They're getting ideas from the Arameans. And those are their peers and rivals. And yeah, they might be a little bit smaller. Their landscape is a little more compact and da 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 But that's, and the Judeans are watching this and 150, 200 years later, they're going like, okay, <laughs> I guess, I guess we're up. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Israel is done. The stage is ours. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> right. Um. And again, you have to pick and choose what what you do, what you use to define your eliteness. Right. Hezekiah puts in an order for an elephant. The Assyrians laugh. <laughs> <laughs> then they say, "We'll give you a couple of plaques." <laughs> right. <that>. Right. <laughs> but but Manasseh pays his tribute like like a good boy, and they give him a couple of plaques. I mean, right. I'm, whatever. I'm, yeah, I, yeah. Hezekiah and <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, I'm. But I think I think there's a element of I don't know I've always read it this way a wannabeness with with Judah you know wanting to be as strong as Israel but just not being and um, and now is their chance because because Israel's gone right. <laughs> right and and they have to run with the one thing that they can run with and that's this uh, at least as far as their self-expression later self-expression is and that's this idea of david and the dynasty and oh right. you know right or his relationship with with the man upstairs right and, and i just i guess it was an interesting comment you made alex that it, that jude is actually a tertiary state um and israel the northern kingdom of israel as is a secondary state what do we say about 10th century israel <laughs> I mean, that there? would have to be the secondary state yeah okay so and and israel of the northern kingdom just continues that yeah if you don't yeah, want to yeah. deconstruct away the 10th century that's true good point which i have no appetite for well not not without a big corned beef sandwich <laughs> <laughs> to, to sustain me <laughs> My, Take on no that construction uh, <laughs> without severe carbo loading. <laughs> not, not on an empty stomach. Yeah. Okay. But you know, at least, I mean that, and that points to the problem of all this state formation talk. Mm. You know, at, after let's say the Sumerians or Dynasty Zero, everybody is right. version. You know, well, yeah, 2.0. It's like you know Windows 14. Right. By the, by the time you get down to the Iron Age, yeah, um, and there's there's nothing much new under the sun. By the time you get to the Iron Age, in terms of states and how you do states and what's well, those, those stone toilets, I think were, were well, those are nice. <laughs> a little bit new. It's a, it is a great leap forward. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you have new commodities, maybe, and uh, a few new ideas, and oh, the alphabet, it's like really a thing by the first millennium, so that's helpful, but the idea that, you know, <laughs> we're in charge here, and we're going to beat the crap out of you, don't go along, that's a very old one, I think. Yeah. And, um, but that's why I think um, Jerusalem was like Harrisburg. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And I'm just going to throw that uh, out there. You, you really want to, what if we have audience members in Harrisburg? I mean. I don't think our <laughs> listener is in Harrisburg. Audience members in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> which, which potentially could, could outnumber the Harrisburg listeners, you know, two to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a state, it's a state capital. Right. Yeah. You can find, you know, rich and wealthy elites there who have cool stuff. 
Right. Um, but and who, think they're, there, that, so who think they're, they're the bee's knees. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not Washington. It's right. not New York. And it's cheaper to you live. Albany. <laughs> well, <laughs> well <laughs> yeah. It's not New York City, but it could be Albany. Yeah. Well, maybe the the relationship between New York City and Albany is like Samaria to I uh, never mind. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, final thoughts. Um, um <laughs> I would rather it be a bed or a chair, but not this in-between thing. Okay. Okay. It's, it, I mean, it's so it's like a daybed, and I never really understood the whole daybed concept. Yeah, it's sort of like an El Camino. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like sedan, a couch. Part pickup truck, yeah. but really neither. Uh, it's it's like some sort of comfortable piece of furniture, or it's like a desk. I mean, I have no problem with this. How um, is it a desk? Huh? <laughs> How is it a desk? Well, it could be reconstructed. I think one of many different <laughs> ways. But anyway, all right. Is it a divan? Is that what a divan is? Yeah, I think that I is think what so. a divan yeah. is. Yeah. A fainting, a fainting, what is it? A fainting couch. A fainting couch. A fainting couch. Yeah. All right. My final thought will King be- King Solomon's fainting couch. Ooh. Yeah, we have our title. <laughs> Hezekiah's fainting couch. Manasseh's fainting couch. <laughs> I'm, writing, <laughs> I'm writing all this down. Very good. Um, I, I just, you know, I think of the elephants and I think of the fact that, you know, piano keys were made out of ivory until. Oh, not God, Rachel. Oh. What? What? No, it's, and we no, don't do it's that so anymore. Sad. It is sad. That's it is what I'm sad. saying. It's, it is. And uh, at least, at least these elephants, their, their tusks are still being talked oh. about all these. <laughs> talked about. By us. I, I guess that's. It's one sort of immortality. That's right. Yeah. I think um, they traded in. And your final thoughts, Alex? Well, I, I I will think again of of the elephants. I just am freaked out by this idea that there were elephants running, running around in the Levant and in Syria in the second and part of the first millennium. But and you knew I, that there were we've known it. Yeah, there were I elephants know. in Syria forever. I know. I just don't think about them as much as I should. No, I, I no, I agree with you. The idea of whether they're they are a uh, you know the last remains of the Asian elephant in a particular environment, or if they were imported, that's yeah. even kookier. That's yeah. the thing yeah. that I think is crazy. Right. That's a crazy, interesting idea. Right. Well, that's a good right. final thought. Yeah. So just think of the elephants. Think of the won't elephants. you? Okay. Hi. Well, I'd like to assure listeners that no elephants were harmed in the making of this episode. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, WNBQ in Chicago, presenting everyone's favorite children's show, Elmer the Elephant, airing weekdays from 5 to 5.30. So to get in touch, leave us a comment. Send us an email at This Week in the Ancient Near East, it's all one word, as you know, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.